Father, we have nowhere else to go but to your holy, inspired words, the Holy Bible for which we have in our hands, truly a privilege, and we never take it for granted. Lord, as your son prayed just hours before his crucifixion, he prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. We pray, Lord, in thanks for the prayer of the Son, our Savior, that that indeed is the fact that that prayer has been answered and is being answered. So sanctify us in the truth today, Lord, we pray for your glory, for the edification, the building up of your saints, your people, the church, the bride of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. uh, If you would, open your Bibles to Romans 6, and we'll continue our study of this uh, wonderful, wonderful epistle. And I trust that you have all been greatly um, encouraged through Paul's writings uh, to the Church of Rome. And this morning we want to cover some ground. I am pretty much set to cover verses 5 through 14. And we're going to try to hold to that. So let's begin by reading in verse 5, Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The title of the message is From Facts to Acts of Righteousness. Do you get that? From Facts to Acts of Righteousness. 
Now, we most certainly know by now, I mean, at least I hope, um, having learned about justification, that we're not justified by or through any holiness in and of ourselves, but are justified unto holiness. Declared free from all blame. Declared by God as righteous unto holiness. That's the main point this morning. We are justified unto holiness. Okay? Works account for nothing in our justification. We know that. Yet in no way does that fact justify an antinomian attitude as we looked at last time. Antinomian meaning no law. To be against the law of God. As though works in no way matter to the already saved sinner. That's nonsense to think that way. We were placed into Christ. We were placed into his death. We were placed into his resurrection. Baptized into Christ spiritually. Joined to him as his sheep. Joined to him as his one true church. The bride of Christ. The people of God. Sinners made saints. Verses 3 and 4, as we looked at last time, they, they do not refer to water baptism, but rather the operation of the Holy Spirit. The work of God the Holy Spirit in putting us into Christ, making us members of his body, he's the head, we're the body, and then that operation, that work of God, is indeed illustrated by our public water baptism. He carried our sin in his death on the cross. He not only died for us, but because of our spiritual union with him, we died and were raised to newness of life. A great transformation has taken place. Buried therefore, notice verse 4, buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so that what? We too might walk in newness of life. This is a promised resurrection life Paul's talking about here. We're going to look at a bunch of facts regarding our justification this morning. The facts of the matter and transition into acts of the matter. Okay, that's where we're going this morning. So this is a promised resurrection life, not only in the new heavens and the new earth, not only the hope of glory, but in the here and now, right now, today, as God's people, we've been raised from spiritual death to life, set free from the power of sin, set free, and I mean free, baby, free, free from the power of sin and death. Remember how Paul describes our lives before Christ in Ephesians chapter 2? Listen, you were dead, <laughs> You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were indeed by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what we were. But God, the big but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. This is a salvific love. This is a unique love. This is a special love. even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice we were past tense dead. Now we've been made alive. Amen Amen is right. Satan has lost hold of one who was at one time his own. You were his own at one time. I was his own at one time. Made alive, born again, born from above. A supernatural change has taken place within the soul of sinners saved by grace. This is a monergistic work. This is one-way work of God coming down to us. This is not synergistic. It's not God's work and our work together. Birthing salvation. It is all God, all grace, uniting us to him in his death, uniting him, us to him in his resurrection. That is a fact. That's a fact. And such a reality of new life produces newness of life in the here and now. That's a fact. That's an indicative. That is truth. Verse 5, notice. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Notice, if, Paul. He reasons so masterfully. Okay, okay if this is true, and it most certainly is, okay? Uh, there's no uncertainty here. This is the fact of the matter. We have been united to Christ by the shape of his death, that is, in his death, that pays the penalty for our sins. That's a fact. It's paid, fully paid. Word. <laughs> Word. <laughs> we will also then most certainly be united him in the shape of his resurrection, newness of life. Walking in resurrection of life. That is that we are now free from the rain. That is the control of sin over us. Fact. Word. Newness of life. Notice, united with him in a resurrection like his. What resurrection is Paul talking about, beloved? He's not merely talking again of the resurrection to come. That's also a fact. That's the hope of glory. This has to do with the first resurrection. You know what the first resurrection is? When you read in the Bible, the first resurrection is being born again. That's the first resurrection. You see, if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're only born once, you'll die twice. As a believer, you will not experience what the Bible refers to as the second death. You will not be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. You will not be cast away from God into darkness forever. Those who are only born once, not born twice, will die, die twice. Physically, spiritually. You've been raised to newness of life. The first resurrection. We were dead, but he has raised us. No longer under the domination of sin. We've been buried, we've been raised now, and this indeed is a foretaste of the resurrection to come. Your life now is a foretaste of that which is to come. If you're in Christ. Fact. Word. Verse 6. Notice this. We know... (laughs) We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what, beloved? Nothing. 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, uh, very important here to make this distinction. Our old self here in verse 6 does not mean old ways that exist alongside the new part of me. You know when we get to Ephesians 4.22? When you get to Colossians 3.9, it says, put off the old self and its practices. Okay, here in, in chapter 6 of Romans, he means all of me. All of you that was before Christ invaded your life. Right? He invaded your life. Okay? He didn't just tap. Please let me in. No, he says, I'm a coming. You're mine. I chose you before the foundation of the earth. And in due time, he called you effectually to himself, transforming you. Fact. So all of me that was before Christ, this old self, was crucified with Christ. Fact. You were crucified with Christ. That is our nature. That is our person. We once were apart from Christ. That is Adam. We were in Adam. We were born in Adam. The first Adam died, was crucified. And in this sense, you can't crucify yourself. Someone else has to crucify you. Romans 6.6 6 refers to the natural man before Christ. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3 refers to the old man's ways. Okay? That's what's in view here. The fact. So again, the statement of fact. Not a command to crucify my old ways. Not a command to crucify my old self. But that my old self has been, past tense, crucified with Christ. Dead. Your old man and your old woman is dead if you're in Christ. That's a fact, okay? So there's something we must know about this old man, Paul says, verse 6, and that is he's dead. Truly dead. Fact of the matter is, sin's authority has been broken through the redeeming work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Fact, word. Sin has used its final weapon and has been rendered powerless over all who are justified by faith alone. Powerless. Sin has no power over you, believer. So the declaration of justification not only releases me from the penalty of sin, it also releases me from what? The power of sin over me. Listen to this. I thought was a very good illustration, analogy. Quote, sin has played its trump card. Sin has used its final weapon. Before being joined to Christ, when I resisted sin, I was like a prisoner who tries to escape over the prison wall before his sentence is paid. And when sin, the jailer, catches up with me and tells me to come back into prison, I have no choice but to go because I'm guilty and the penalty is not paid. But when the Christian resents, resists sin, he is like a prisoner who is released through the prison gate after serving his sentence. When the jailer, sin, threatens him and tells him to return to prison, he need not go. The only power that sin has over the Christian is the power of the bluff. End quote. That's rich. 
the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That is this, that the mind of sin deeply rooted within us in in Adam, that it might be brought to nothing. Fact. And most likely what Paul means here by this body of sin is the old nature in that we've been taken out of Adam completely and placed in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. You see all this positional truth? Glorious position of justification by faith? Causing us to die to the old life, delivering us from sin's slavery and its power over us. So in a spiritual sense, it died already on the cross. It died, it's dead. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order, to, that, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, verse six. So now for the Christian, we're gonna say, you know what, honestly, My body doesn't feel like it's dead to sin. Come on. God says it is. Okay? And we are, verse 6, notice, to know this. Okay? We're to know this. We're to know this objective reality, the fact. So knowing for the Christian is much different than feeling. Right? That's why I said... Don't take justification by faith for granted, as though you know it all, because you don't. We don't. There was a man that was accustomed to getting up at 4 a.m. every morning so that he could beat traffic in his long commute into the big city. And his loving dear wife would get up every morning at 4 a.m. with him to see him off by 5. Well, they have children, and the children were restless this particular night, one particular night, many particular nights. Moms. And when the alarm goes off, faithfully at 4 a.m., she wakes up and she goes, is it really 4 o'clock? And her husband says, it is. She said, it doesn't feel like 4 o'clock. You ever been there? It didn't feel like 4 o'clock. But although it didn't feel like 4 o'clock, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth on its orbit, and the whole apparatus of the heaven declare it is 4 o'clock. Right? And here's the point. The true believer truly is dead to sin. He truly was crucified with Christ. He may not feel very dead sometimes, but God says he is, and so does the whole apparatus of redemption declare that fact. Word. That's a fact. The sinner who's been saved by grace must learn to know that salvation is not dependent upon feelings, but is indeed dependent upon the certain facts related to and not apart from Jesus Christ alone. And the Word of God. Right? The work of Christ and the Word of God. Fact. We must know this. The words of Scripture and the the works works of Jesus Christ and the word of God and the worth of Jesus must be received by faith. That's what justifies a sinner. Now, do we still sin? Of course we do. Anyone who says he does not sin is a liar. Are there any liars here? Repent. We still sin, but we're not in slavery to sin, and nor are we left without, without the ability to be free from its reign. We all have besetting sins. 
But we're no longer slaves of sin. Fact. Because we've been raised in Christ. There's a vast difference, beloved, between committing sin and living in, continuing in, and delighting in sin. And for those who profess to be Christians who continue in sin and delight in sin, better check to see if they're really in the faith or not. Our abilities to interact with the world around us have been rescued from the control of sin. But that's where you were, Ephesians 2. Controlled by it. Controlled by your nature. Having been crucified in Christ, our connection to Adam through whom we are bound, no doubt about it, to the consequence of sin and death outside of Christ truly has ended by way of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Fact. If you're not in Christ, you're in the first Adam. I bid you to come to Christ. Repent and believe by faith. Verse 7. For one who has died has been what? Set free from sin. You see, where the Spirit of God is, the the truth of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by, Romans 5.5, the Holy Spirit given to us. Everyone who's saved has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. We have true liberty, true freedom, and the power of God at our disposal. Did you get that? The power, the resurrection power of God at our disposal because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us against any given sin, that we can resist it, we can flee from it. We will be tempted by sin. We'll always be tempted by sin until the day we die. But it does not change the objective reality of this magnificent and ought to be celebrated truth. That is, sin has no right or no power to enslave anyone who's been crucified in Christ and raised up again to the newness of life. Fact. Word. Verse 8. Okay, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Okay, as a result of Christ's death for us, we died to sin, we live in spiritual fellowship with him. Okay, we have a union with him that's everlasting, and we also have communion with him. Moment by moment, day by day. Not only in the age to come, in a glorified existence, but right now. Fact. Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. How many times? Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died once only because he chose to have his sin, our sin rather, imputed to him. No man takes my life, I lay it down. On the cross, it is finished. Done. No longer does death have dominion over Christ. He died once. He gave himself over to death. Man didn't take his life. He gave himself over to it, to death. Conquered it by way of resurrection from the dead. Breaking the power of sin, putting out of commission, destroying the old nature. Go back to verse 6. Destroying Adam. Okay, beloved, are, you, are, are we clear up to this point? Fact, fact, fact. Word, word, word. Indicative, indicative, indicative. 
That's what we've just looked at. Here then is a transition from the indicative to the imperative. From objective facts to essential commands. Since you have been transformed from spiritual death to spiritual life, since you've been brought from bondage to sin to freedom from blindness to sight, then live in such a way. As a justified sinner saved by grace. Now, it's noteworthy. For six, how long have we been in Romans? Somebody help me out. Six and a half chapters, months, right? I don't even know how long it is. I haven't looked. Six and a half chapters. Have you noticed Paul has not instructed you to do anything? Did you notice that? It's all indicative, indicative, indicative. Fact, fact, fact. Word, word, word. And there's a reason for this. He wants you to first understand what you once were. He wants you to understand what Christ has done for you. He wants you to understand what God the Holy Spirit has done in you. Who and what God has made you to be. Those are indicatives. Once that's clear, only then are we ready to hear and respond to his commands, the imperatives of Scripture. So, in the Christian life, the indicative precedes the, indicative precedes the imperative. That is, we do not obey in order to be redeemed. Amen? We do not obey in order to earn redemption, forgiveness, but rather are redeemed and therefore called to and enabled to obey. Obey. Oh, don't be afraid of that word. Grace must be in operation before obedience is even possible. Obedience flows from a proper understanding, first and foremost, uh, of God's work of grace on our behalf. That's what he's been building up to for six and a half chapters. And with the Holy Spirit's presence and power within us, he enables us to carry out these imperatives. How then can we have victory over sin? Is saved sinners? First of all, by knowing what God has done in joining us to Christ. All those facts. Now, I want to draw your attention to the word know for a moment. Notice chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ or Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Verse 16. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. No, no, no. K-N-O-W. No. Knowledge. Know this. Satan wants to keep us in the dark when it comes to the spiritual truths that we are to know. The facts. And this is why many Christians are living beneath their privileged place in their privileged position. They fail to know this, or they, at the least, refuse to adhere to this. So the key to holy living, first and foremost, is to know this and press on by faith towards obedience, because you can. It's really simple. 
because you can. So, in the Christian life, beloved, justification and sanctification are a package deal. Period. Many professing believers want to hear about justification and forgiveness. They don't want to hear about holy living. If they hear preaching on holiness, that is the imperatives of Scripture, the being and doing of a Christian, they cry foul. And they accuse the preacher or their fellow believer of preaching law, or at best, you're preaching law by, you know, sanctification by law. No, that's nonsense. So what they attempt to do is extract the doctrine of sanctification, holiness, from justification. Now, as we look at Romans, that is exactly what Paul does not do. Okay, now the gospel is the ground, beloved, of both justification and sanctification. Let's say amen to that. Okay, amen. They are distinct doctrines, let's say amen to that. But nevertheless, for all who are saved, they're a package deal. You cannot be justified without being sanctified. And if you're not being sanctified, you're not justified. It's simple. Package deal. Now, if you notice Romans, in verses 1 through 6, we see the indicative with regard to having spiritual union with Christ in his death. Again, fact. In verses 7 through 11, we see the indicative of a believer's freedom from sin's dominion. Fact. And then, verses 12 through 14, what are we going to see this morning? The imperative of progressive holiness, that is, sanctification, because of union with Christ. Are you with me? Yes. Therefore, do this and don't do that. Okay? It's always the big therefore. Because of all these facts, all these indicatives, therefore, here's the imperatives, here's the commands. Notice first in your outline. As a Christian, Paul wants us to consider whose we are. Whose we are. I used to drop my kids off at school as they were growing up, and I would tell them almost every day, don't forget whose you are and who you are. You're Christ's. And you're a Christian. Amen? Consider whose you are. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in who? In Christ Jesus. Consider, that is, think correctly. Think correctly of yourselves. It might say reckon. Your translation may say reckon. Some people think Paul was from Texas. (laughs) Consider, think about. Think about what's happened to you. You've died with Christ. You've been raised in the power of his resurrection. Be sure then of your new identity. Think of yourselves in these terms. I was at a friend's house, Christian friend. I saw a sticky note on their wall that said, I am a child of God. (laughs) Amen. That's a good reminder. I am a child of God. Amen. Amen. Sticky notes. Some people have them all over. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Walk in the newness of life. Amen? Being alive to God, you are alive to the things of God. You're alive to the knowledge of God. You're alive to the expectations of God for His redeemed people, for His lambs, for His servants who are now His slaves. 
slaves of Christ. No longer slaves of sin, but you're somebody's slave. Everybody serves somebody. Bob Dylan sung that. Everybody serves somebody or something. Word. Now, remember again how Paul describes us before we became believers, back in Ephesians 2? Remember that? He says, you were dead in sins. You were sons of disobedience. Romans 6, he says just the opposite. Now, that, now, now we're not dead in sin, but dead to sin. Dead to sin. And alive in Christ. Consider whose you are. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's a total contrast between death and life. Alive in Christ. That's whose you are. You're his. Now, Paul provides a wonderful commentary on verse 11 in his letter to the Colossians. Chapter 3. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your what? Minds. Everything begins with the mind, the way we think. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. Past tense. Your life is hidden now with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Paul says, be grateful for your union with Christ. And most certainly, know whose you are. Do you know whose you are? Do you know the price that was paid to purchase you as his own dear possession? A redeemed sinner, saved by grace, called a saint? Be thankful for that. Meditate on that. This is what Paul's saying. You're made in union with Christ. This is so important because believers struggle with sin and they don't feel it. You ever not feel it? Come on, be honest. Yeah, we all do. So it's fundamental that we comprehend what God has actually done in us now. Now, what he's not saying is this. I realize you're a sinner and you know, if you have a good positive attitude, this reality will eventually come to pass. This is not Paul's Positive Thinking Course 101, amen? Not at all. You know, he's not some mystical heretic. Paul is saying, this is what you are. You are dead to sin. I want you to know what God has made you to be. This is already the case now. You're his. So this is an exercise, really, in subjectively believing this to be true because it is indeed objectively true. Right? So we don't feel it. We convince ourselves by knowledge of the truth what the word declares that this is true. Know whose you are. Know who you are. Realize what God has made you to be in Christ. And then, step two, point two, be who you are. If you know whose you are and who you are, you can be who you are. Notice, verse 12. Let not sin what? Therefore, don't forget the therefore, because of all these facts, therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Here's Paul's appeal of grace. 
This is an appeal of grace, not law. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why? Because of grace. It doesn't have to anymore. After a long, detailed exposition of gospel truth, Paul now moves to moral exhortation. (laughs) Again, beloved, this is why a proper understanding of justification by faith is so very important. Therefore, because of all this glorious truth, be who you are. Act and live like who you are. Now, what Paul is not saying, because you're dead to sin, you'll never sin again as a Christian, and if you do sin again, you're not a Christian, that's what he's not saying. Okay? He doesn't say, therefore, you will never sin again. He doesn't mean you won't struggle with sin. If he meant that, he wouldn't even write what he says here. Nor would he write what he goes on to write in chapter 7. What does he say? Don't what? Let's look at it. Don't let sin what? Reign in your mortal body. That's a command. That's an imperative. The mortal body is all of me in this present age, subject to weakness, subject to decay, my mortal body. You are no longer under the reigning power of sin. You're no longer controlled by the desire of sin. You're no longer under the program of sin. You've been set free. You're no longer hard-pressed. I'm no longer hard-pressed to submit to the cravings and desires of sin. Your new life in Christ, that new birth has brought you new desires, newness of life. That's why there's a struggle in your life, Christian. That's why you struggle against sin. That's why you fight against sin. That's why you're tempted to sin. Because you've been set free. That's why it troubles you. Amen? That's a good thing. Augustine said this, that in Adam, you're not able not to sin. If you're only in Adam, you're not able not to sin. But in Christ, we have become able not to sin. You see? Therefore, what's the command? Quite simply, don't let sin reign because of who you are. The tyranny of sin has been broken in Christ. Paul never commands us to become who we are not. He never says, be who you're not. Always be who you are. You're a new creature in Christ. Live according to what God has made you to be. Live in a manner worthy of the calling. That's Ephesians, the first three chapters, all doctrinal truth, it's all fact. Chapter four, therefore, live in a manner worthy of the calling. No one can be a righteous person apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, I just need to try harder, and you don't have faith and trust in Christ alone, who's the only means, the only way to be right with God, again, you're only an Adam. You're only an Adam. You therefore can't not sin. And he's at war with you. And I bid you to come to Christ, if that's you.
finally, for the Christian, this last point, present yourselves then as what you are. That is an instrument for what? Just look at that. For righteousness. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Our members, that, that, that doesn't really mean my physical limbs, my hands, my feet, my mouth, my eyes, you know, my ears and whatnot, but it includes all of our faculties, our mind, our reasoning, our imagination, our desires, All these are involved. My ambitions, my choices. Those are our members. So in light of who we are, because of whose you are, don't be an instrument for unrighteousness. You belong to the righteous one. Don't let your body, he says, be used as an instrument for wickedness. That is, be on guard. Be on guard of allowing sin to use your body as a gateway for sinning doesn't have to don't permit your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness that is don't permit our minds to to covet the ways of evildoers what does the scripture say for the thoughts of the righteous are just permit not our eyes to lust after persons other than our spouse permit ourselves not to lust after possessions we don't have Position we don't have, status we don't have, fame we don't have, money we don't have. Permit not, because you can. Permit not our ears to listen to gossip and our tongues to spread it. Listen to what Proverbs 26 says. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body, our members. James 3, the tongue is a small what? It's a small member. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. These things ought not to be. 1 Corinthians six fifteen. do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Paul says never, because you don't have to. You're no longer slaves of sin. So this yielding is an act of our wills, is it not? Because we've been set free to obey the Lord. See, beloved, don't miss this. Unsaved people do not have a free will. Again, unsaved people do not have a free will. Why? In other words, they don't have a free will to serve God and to worship God. They don't have a free will just to come to God because their will is enslaved to sin in who? Adam. The first Adam. They have to be released and set free by grace, being born again from above, to be taken out of the first Adam and placed in the second Adam. It's all monergistic, one-way grace of God. That's why unbelievers don't have this free will just to come to God when they want. They're subject to their nature, and it's in Adam, and they're slaves of sin. You're not. We're not. We've been set free, as Martin Luther King said. Amen? Free. 
It's not enough to know this wonderful doctrine, Paul says. It's not even enough to consider this glorious truth, verse 11. We must take it to the final step of yielding, presenting ourselves as whose we are and who we are for the glory of Christ. Because we're not under sin's tyranny, we're not under Satan's reign any longer. Fact. Paul has made it clear. The power of sin has been broken by the cross. He's made it clear. You see what I'm talking about with justification? Because people get to this stuff and they just, they're, whoa, this is heavy. Man, am I saved? Justification by what? Faith alone. Only then does he appeal to us to make holy use of the freedom won for us by Christ, presenting ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Notice verse 14 as I get ready to wrap up. For sin will have what? No dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. This I love this. Because Paul knows and we know and Paul knew long before we do did that people will use that phrase anytime you talk about obedience they'll say this hey man I'm under grace not under law in the reality of that of that statement the foolishness of the statement they don't even realize what Paul's really saying here let's look at it he flips the script Sin will have no dominion over you. And the reason we present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness is because you're not under law. But under what? You're under grace. Meaning the law has no power to enable you to obey it. Only grace does. Only grace enables you to obey the imperatives of Scripture, the commands of God, i.e. the law of God, the law of Christ. Law tells you what you should and shouldn't do, but has no power to help you do or not do it. Only grace does. Grace gives you the power to do what the imperatives of Scripture command you to do, instruct us to do, and what to be. Be who you are because of whose you are. You're not under law, Christian. You're not under law. Therefore, you're not under the condemnation of the law. Therefore, you're not under conviction of the law. Therefore, you are not under opposition to the law either. Because of what? Grace. This is beautiful. This is awesome. The indicatives of Scripture declare you've been redeemed, justified, forgiven, and empowered. Empowered. To do what the imperatives of Scripture tell you to do because you're under grace. You're under grace. So in light of whose you are, in light of who you are, in light of what you are in Christ, yield yourselves to God, he says. <sighs> because you can. You don't have to yield yourself to sin any longer. Its reign has been destroyed over our lives. It's only as we give in to God instead of sin that we will have victory, beloved. How many times do you hear James quoted? Resist the devil and he will... That's not true if you live off, leave off the first part of that command. It says this. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, Christian. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 
submit to God first. Then you can resist the devil, and he will have to flee. Now, we cannot say, beloved, I'll never sin again as a Christian, but we can say, I need not sin now. Amen? We can say that, I need not sin now because I'm free not to sin in Christ. That's what he's been laying down. Close with this little story. There's a story of this great bald eagle. You ever seen a bald eagle up close? They are an amazing sight to see. Their nests are ginormous. It's amazing to watch these things. I used to see them camping. We used to go to the northern, uh, uh, the northern beautiful territory of uh, the state of Wisconsin when I was a kid. Well, anyway, there's this beautiful, mighty eagle that the owner captured. He captured, so now he's owner, and he tethered it, tied it to a post. And this great mighty eagle sadly walked round and round and round the post. And someone offered to purchase this great eagle from its owner. So the new owner says, hey, guess what? I am going to remove the rope from this eagle. So a crowd gathers. They want to see this thing. He removes the rope. And this eagle, guess what he did? You know what he did? He walked round and round and round the post in the same old rut. He was free to fly, but he didn't. He was free, and he didn't know he was free. The sad absurdity of that scene is like a Christian who continues in sin once he's been delivered from it and will cry, I'm under grace, not law, justifying his sin. Forget that nonsense. If you're not pursuing after this new life and you're in Christ, you will struggle with assurance for sure. You're free, you just don't know it. (laughs) You're forgiven. You just don't realize it. We must know these things. May we know the facts of righteousness in Christ so that we can walk in action, in acts of righteousness for the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen. You see why it's so important to know justification by faith and all that it entails, beloved? Fact, fact, fact. Word, word, word. Therefore, go and be whose you are because, be who you are because of whose you are for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you for getting us through that very challenging text. Lord, I pray that it will be clear to your people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take this word and sanctify us in the truth, for your word is truth. May we understand positional righteousness. May we understand that we have died. If we're in Christ, we have died in Christ, been buried, raised again to the newness of life, to walk in the newness of life. May we not be like this eagle that walks in the same rut over and over again, but live as free people from the reign of sin. New creatures in Christ, the second Adam no longer 
subject to the first Adam, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.